Our topic today out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter eight, uh, chapter 10 rather, the Battle of the Princes. This is an important chapter. Um, all are important, but I mean this one is really important to understand why you go through the problems you go through. Why do we have the troubles that we experience? And so it's a very important theme and central theme through all the scriptures, this Battle of the Princes. Now, to really fully understand where we're at, it'd be good to uh, uh, review Daniels 1 through 9. And so if you missed any of those, I encourage you to go to shalomadventure.com and you can see the, uh, the sermons in this Daniel series leading up to that, um, Daniel 1 through 9, each of those chapters. So Daniel chapter 10. Now Daniel chapter 10 starts this last section of Daniel, this last prophecy in Daniel, which is Daniel 10, 11, and 12. We don't have time to do all of them tonight, so we're just going to do 10 tonight, and then 11 uh, and 12 on other times. Um, but they're all part of one unit, these three chapters. All right, so Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. This is kind of interesting, a little paragraph here, a little section here. It's kind of written in the third person, speaking about Daniel, and also refers to him as Belteshazzar. Uh, he's been now in Babylon, which is now Medo-Persia, for uh, a little over 70 years. And so he's probably around 90 years old. And so the name Belteshazzar that was given to him uh, by Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar's uh, people to give to him has been kind of stuck with him, but he's still identified as Daniel. But also just for those who are not sure who Daniel is, he says both names, Belteshazzar, there also. Now Cyrus here is the king of Persia, and he's referred to as the king of Persia. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later on in the, in the message here. And it's saying that this appointed time is Daniel, the point of Daniel, the appointed time that's mentioned in Daniel 10, 11, and 12, this vision of Daniel 10, 11, and 12, uh, is for a long time. As we've seen, one of the principles in understanding Daniel is in Revelation, each one of the prophecies goes from the time of the prophet to the very end of time. Now, Daniel had understanding of this vision. And we saw in Daniel chapter 8, he didn't understand it right away. Gabriel was sent to make him understand. This one he understands. And when we get into chapter 11, you'll see, with the understanding of Daniel's not 1 through 10 by that point, uh, it will be easy to understand using the principles that we have seen from God's word. So verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, so now I shifted to first person, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris River. Okay, so for three full weeks, he's fasting in a sense. He's not eating any pleasant food, it says. Now, the word there for food is lechem. Right? What does lechem mean? Lechem? Bread, right. So no pleasant bread. And we'll see in a moment what that might mean. So no pleasant bread, no meat, no wine. It doesn't mean no food at all. But a type of a fasting he's doing for three full weeks, and he's not anointing his body. I don't know if that means he didn't bathe at all or just not anoint with oil or whatever for three full weeks. But again, type of a mourning that he's going through. 
And the reason he is mourning is because it's the third year of Cyrus. Well, by this time, the 70 weeks of Jeremiah's prophecy that will be able to go back to Jerusalem has been fulfilled. And Cyrus has already made the decree, the first of three decrees, Cyrus and then Darius later on, and then Artaxerxes kind of capping it off, giving the fullness of going back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And so Cyrus gives this first initial part of it. And so he's already given that for us to be able to go back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the city. And some people went, unfortunately, not many. Unfortunately, Daniel wasn't able to go at 90 years old. I guess he wasn't feel well enough to make the trip or maybe because of his position there with Cyrus, he doesn't go. But not everybody goes and actually a, a minority go, which is very disappointing. And we'll get into that in another message of the ramifications of that. But very few go back, and when they go back, they start to build, and we read in the book of Ezra, they received opposition, as it prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, that they would, that it would be in troublesome times. And so they received trouble, they received opposition. And it says that they even hired counselors, which might mean they hired politicians or lawyers to probably work upon Cyrus's mind to try and rescind his decree and his allowing of the Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And so they're receiving troubles. And so Daniel is now upset about that. He's been longing for this for over 70 years. And now the whole fulfillment might not come to pass. And so he is mourning and praying and fasting for three full weeks. And you know, sometimes we look, well, God's word promises it, so I don't need to pray about it. Oh, it's all going to be good. All good's going to happen anyway. It's all good. So I don't even have to pray about it. Daniel didn't feel that way. Even with the prophecy, even knowing the prophecy, even believing in God fully, seeing God working all this time, having God's assurance, having the decree already made, having Cyrus on his side, he still didn't just leave it rest assured. He still continued in prayer and earnest prayer for the fulfillment of the promise. And so we have promises in God's word, but we need to continue to pray for the fulfillment of those promises as well. Now it says here, it was the 24th day of the first month. What happens in the first month? What takes place in the first month? Someone say it? Someone said it, what? Passover. Passover, Passover takes place in the first month. And so now on the 24th day, so he is going through this fast from before Passover all the way through Passover, and even after Passover, and he's still fasting this type of prayer. So with no pleasant bread, what type of bread do you think he ate? Matzah. He ate matzah for three weeks, right? So it's bad enough to have to eat it for eight days, right? So he's eating it for three weeks. No pleasant bread, but maybe just matzah, the unpleasant bread, for three whole weeks, right? No doubt he was constipated unbelievably, right? So three full weeks, no pleasant bread. He's fasting and praying through this time. Which is interesting. So Passover, he's thinking again, the deliverance going back to, or the promise to go to, to the promised land. And so here now, he's concerned again for the promised land, for the promised city, the holy city. All right, verse five. I lifted up my eyes and a certain man clothed in linen 
whose waist was girded with gold of Ophaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like bronze, bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Very similar description to what John experiences in the book of Revelation. Also some parallels to what Joshua experiences when he meets the commander of the army of the Lord there before coming against the city of Jericho. And uh, similar, other people have somewhat similar experience to this, but pretty full form of him seeing this man clothed in linen like a, like a, like a Cohen and with a waist of gold, a band of gold around his waist, his face like lightning, eyes like torches of fire. And this is an apt description as we compare it with these other uh, chapters. He's, he's seeing Yeshua. For the first time in all these chapters, he prayed, he's had visions. I think this is the fifth vision. And this is the first time in any of those he's seeing Yeshua. And seeing him in his all his glory. And his eyes like torches of fire. Now fire can work two ways. Right? Fire can be very destructive, a destroying fire, fire burn down your house, burn you to pieces, right? God's judgment of fire, he's going to destroy this earth with fire, everything in it, so, so hot that, that everything's going to melt, the elements are going to melt with fervent heat, so hot he's going to burn it all up. A destroying fire, be destroyed with the brightness of his coming, that God is a consuming fire, but also fire on a, on a cold night to have a, a fireplace and to warm yourself near a fire or a campsite and camping out and have a little fire there. And, and it can be very mesmerizing and you can look into that fire and watching the flames dance or, or on a Havdalah candle or Sabbath candles just watching the flame and watching the fire. It can be very soothing and very attractive even and, and very comforting and, again, give us warmth and give us, um, uh, uh, you know, a good feeling around, a warm feeling, not just a physically warm feeling, but an emotionally warm feeling to be around a nice fire, right? So it all depends on, on, on how we're using that fire. Right? We put the hand in the fire, you know, and, or light the match and throw it in the, in, uh, on the carpet, you know, can cause, again, a destroying fire. If we're resisting fire, if we're going opposing the fire, it will destroy us and burn us up. But if we're working in harmony with the fire, it can be used to cook things and keep us warm and be very positive. And so as it describes, as Yeshua is coming, at his coming, there will be some who, who uh, hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb, have you ever seen an angry lamb? I don't know how many lambs you've been around, but, you know, lambs don't uh, have big teeth and jump in people's necks and claw them to death, you know. The wrath of the lamb, uh, it's kind of really a, uh, an oxymoron, but, uh, but they're, they're running from his love. They can't take his love. They can't stand his love. His love and his mercy and his grace is too much for the sinful heart to bear that's resisted and, and, and refused his love and his filled with guilt, and runs and hides himself from his love, from his grace, from his goodness, and cry for the rocks and the stones to fall on them, to hide them from his presence. 
And then those of us who are waiting his coming and longing for his coming will still react as we'll see Daniel reacts here and say, who can stand? Who can stand? Even though we've been made pure and white through his blood and our sins removed and forgiven and our records clean and made right and ready as a bride made for the, for the groom, spotless, without wrinkle, no guile in our mouth. And yet still in that condition, we'll say, who is able to stand at his presence? Not boasting, oh, look at what I have done and look at how I've prayed and look at how these, what I, all these good deeds that I've done and, and healed the sick and cast out demons in your name. We'll be boasting and proud. But who can stand before his glory? Who can stand before his presence? And his arms and his feet like brownish bronze, and the sounds of his words like the voice of a multitude. Four-part four, four harmony all at one time, coming forth from one voice, like a multitude, a whole choir singing together, his voice reverberating the glory of God. Yeshua in glory is what he gets to see and experience. And how does he respond and react to that? I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. So he saw no strength in himself. Here, righteous Daniel, who's compared with Job and Noah, righteous in their generation. Daniel, who's again received these visions. Daniel, who, who the, uh, the other princes did everything they can to find something wrong in his life. Tried to find him doing something wrong. Tried to find something wrong in his record. And again, being in, in the realm for close to 50 years and, and still among uh, 70 years and still with all that, they couldn't find anything wrong with this man. No wrong post on Facebook, no wrong Twitter feed, no wrong liking of someone, no association, no bribes taken, nothing in all of his years. No wrong associations. No improper gestures. They could find nothing wrong. And still Daniel couldn't stand before the presence of the Lord. He had no strength in himself. And that's how we are. We have no strength for anything. We can do nothing without him. We can do nothing. We have no strength, no power in and of ourselves. No abilities. Even as we grow, even as he gives us victory, even if we, as we get to the point of living like Daniel, that the outward sources can find nothing wrong in us. No charge that can they find against us. They need to concoct a law against God's laws in order to make us disobedient to the laws. Even under those circumstances, when we compare ourselves to the Lord, we're still nothing and have no strength and no power to even sit up, to stand 
to talk, or do anything. Daniel's laid out no strength remained in him. And these other people, they don't see the vision, but they know something's happening. They sense the presence of God. And they run, like in the last days, these guys run with great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves, exactly like it's described in the last days. And God's Spirit can be poured out upon us right now, and some people receive it. Some people be open and receptive. Some people hear God speaking to their hearts and minds. And other people wondering what's going to be to eat at Oneg. Other people just totally miss it. Not be in tune at all with what's happening in the spiritual realm. And it's all dependent upon the preparation of the heart. The sower went forth to sow seed. He had one type of seed in his bag. And some of those seed fell on the on the road, and others fell upon rocky soil, and others fell upon the weeds. And some he tossed into good fertile soil. Same exact seed. <coughs> some were receptive and open hearts and ready to receive it. And others were hard, stony, mixed with the cares of this world, and not ready to receive the good seed planted there. Choice is ours. There's really no physical difference between Daniel and these people who are there with him. You don't know who they were or what they were. But Daniel is left alone. None of those who went out to the river with him in the springtime after Passover, none of them wanted to see and were prepared to see God in his glory. Yet he, they knew he was there. They knew something was there. It wasn't a private vision. I have no doubt that God wanted them all to see him. But only Daniel was prepared to see him. And the rest ran. Similar to Paul. Paul traveling to Damascus with a group of other people. They all heard and they thought it was lightning or thunder, rather thunder. Paul heard God speaking to him, heard Yeshua speaking to him. In such bright light, like, like it just described, his face like a glorious light. Paul just saw the light, blinding light, that he physically went blind for a time. And others just fell on the ground and just heard thunder. Are our ears open to hear God speaking to us? Are our eyes open to see God as he really is? God wants to reveal himself to us. God poured out his spirit on 70 people with Moses in the wilderness. Moses said, I wish that everyone had the spirit of God. That everyone received the spirit of God. That's God's desire for us all to be receiving of him and seeing him. And it comes from, starts with having a humble heart, acknowledging and realizing our emptiness and our worthlessness and no strength without him. 
God doesn't leave him down there. Verse 9, Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face on the ground. So he's flat out. And suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And it seems here that another being comes in here, like maybe an angel, possibly even Gabriel. He's not mentioned by name, but we have he sees and he hears Yeshua. But now another hand touches him, and we're going to see this other hand, this hand of this other being now playing here to the rest of this chapter. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. When God touches us, we get up. Right? Without him and before him, we're nothing, we're on our faces. But when we receive the touch of God, we don't go down. When we receive the touch of God, we get up. He strengthens us and empowers us and raises us up. So Daniel goes up from flat down to now up on his hands and knees. Verse 11, and he said, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak and stand upright. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling and he said, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. So he's told to stand and not to tremble, and not to fear. We have that over and over again in the Bible. Don't fear. We have no fear. We have nothing to fear in God's presence. And we have nothing to fear when we fear the Lord. Truly fearing hurting the Lord. Truly fearing disappointing Him. Truly fearing disappointing Him will cause us to not have to fear anything else. Daniel's called greatly beloved, and he was called that in the last chapter as well. Daniel, you're greatly beloved. And we're each greatly beloved by the Lord as well. From the first day that you set your heart to understand, first day to be praying, first day of these 21 days, and you humbled yourself before your God, that's why he was able to see and hear. He humbled himself. From the first day, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. So from the first day, he began praying. God heard his prayer. So should he have just given up on the first day? Did he waste 20 days? He just needed one day of praying? Why did it take 20 days for this angel to come? Why didn't the angel just come and say, that was enough, I heard you? God hears our prayers. As soon as we pray them, as soon as the word leaves our mouth, the first syllable leaves our mouth, as soon as the thought comes into our mind, the prayer, God hears our prayers. We don't always receive the answer right away, but he hears our prayer right away. But we don't stop praying. We need to continue to petition God. Daniel needed to be praying the full 21 days. She told us a parable of a, of a widow who's petitioning a judge and the judge doesn't want to hear her. But he finally relents because she just keeps on petitioning him. And he says, I'm not a righteous judge and 
I'm not siding with you because of my, I'm righteous, but because I'm tired of hearing you. <laughs> but God is a righteous judge. And he still needs us to continue to be petitioning him. Not necessarily for God's sake, but the rules that God has set up has abound him in a certain sense. And he's not able to do certain things unless we pray. And unless we continue in prayer and continue to petition and continue to seek him out. And we'll see here in just another few verses why and what actually is taking place while we're praying, while we're going on in our lives here. Then in mercy he comes and he comes to give Daniel understanding. Now we don't always get understanding in our prayers. We don't always get the answer right here and now. We don't always find out in this life why we've been praying and what God has been doing in relation to our prayers. But here in this instant, this angel comes to give Daniel understanding of what's been happening over those last 21 days. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and Michael, first of the chief heads, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So it starts off here, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Who's this prince of the kingdom of Persia? Now, it's not Cyrus. Because we already saw in verse 1 that Cyrus was referred to as king of Persia. But there's a prince of Persia. And no doubt has been working upon the heart and ears and mind of the king of Persia. Who is described in the Bible as the prince of this earth? Who? Lucifer. Lucifer, the devil. Correct. Is the prince of this earth. Who was the original prince of this earth? Adam. Adam was the original prince of this earth. And the genealogy takes us back from Yeshua all the way back, son of, son of, son of, all the way back to Adam, who was the son of of God, he's described there. And in the book of Job, it says that the sons of God came together for a meeting. And Satan was there. And God asked him, where have you been? And he says, roaming all over the earth. Because Adam was the original son of God, the original prince of this earth. God as king, Adam as prince, to manage and take care of this earth and care for the earth. God is the owner, Adam as the manager. And Adam surrendered his position to Lucifer, who stole it away from him and became the representative of this earth. So when the sons of God appeared in the book of Job, Satan is there representing the earth. I'm going all around the earth, anywhere I want to go. That's my territory. And God says, well, you don't have the entire earth, do you? Have you considered my servant Job? You're not able to go into his house, are you? You're not able to go into his mind, are you? You're not in his heart, are you? And Satan has to relent and say, well, yeah, that's true. 
That's true, but that's only because you're so nice to him. It's only because you're so good to him. Take his, the barrier away from him. Take the fence away from him. Bring down the, his guard. Stop being so nice to him, and certainly he will surrender to me just like all the rest have. And as the whole book goes on, God allows that. But Job does not. Blessed be he who giveth and taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all things, with or without, he blesses and praises the Lord. And Satan does not have dominion over Job. And he doesn't have to have dominion over us either. But he continues as prince of this earth because Adam surrendered it. Now who becomes the second Adam? Who does the Bible describe as the second Adam? Yeshua. Yeshua is the second Adam. He comes to take the place of Adam. He comes to win and gain victory where Adam failed and lost. And he has gained the victory. Thus he has become now the son of God for this earth. The representative of God for this earth. Yet the war is not completely over. And so still here, the devil is still roaming around the earth as long as he has places to dwell, people who will follow him. And so he is the prince of this earth, and here is now described the prince of Persia. So if Lucifer, Satan, is still now the prince over this earth, in a sense, still has some dominion here, still has a lot of control here, but over Persia, I would imagine would then be one of his demons one of his angels that he is assigned as the prince of Persia. And no doubt he has enough angels to sign over different cities as well. I have no doubt that he has enough evil angels following him to have one assigned to every single city, if not to every single person. And so the one who's been assigned to Persia has been moving upon the heart of Cyrus. And here is this other angel who has come to speak to Daniel and says, I've been contending with him and he has been withstanding me for 21 days. For 21 days, as Daniel has been praying, this battle between the forces has been taking place. A controversy has been happening, a great controversy over this earth. A humongous battle is waging and continues to battle between God and Satan here on this earth. And we are in the midst of it, and they try and sway us to one side and to the other. And God is not able to do certain things unless we pray. And Daniel was faithfully praying for 21 days. And within that 21 days and through that 21 days, that evil angel continued to resist because Cyrus wasn't sure what to do. Cyrus is hearing lots of voices. He's hearing these counselors. He's hearing the news from Israel of these people opposing the building who don't want it built. The opposition He's hearing from the people, and he's hearing from this prince of Persia. And yet his conscience, he's heard what Daniel has encouraged him to do, 
He's read the prophecies that Daniel has shown him, where Cyrus is mentioned by name by Isaiah, hundreds of years in advance, and he's torn, what should I do? Who should I listen to? What will the people say? What will my position be? Will I get revoted? Will popular opinion leave me? There's a lot of things taken into consideration, and he's being pulled one way and the other. A little cartoon of an evil angel on one shoulder and a good angel on another shoulder, shoulder whispering into our ears. That's reality. That happens every day in our lives. Continually. And that's the battle that's taking place behind the scenes for our very souls. For every decision we make. I was driving along the road today and I, I saw a couple walking on the, on the sidewalk. And as they were walking, they walked past uh, just a bag or some kind of garbage there. And they walked past, and after they took about four steps past, the husband or the man turned around and went back and picked up the garbage. Well, what do you think happened in those four steps? And maybe even a few steps before they got to that garbage, and then the four or so steps after the garbage. I think I know because I've experienced this too. Someone put a piece of garbage there. These people, polluters, driving past here all the time, throwing their garbage here. What do they do? Why doesn't someone stop that? How can they do that? How inconsiderate? That's going to wash down the drain and clog some, some sea animal there. And, and this is horrible, this country we live in and this city we live in. And someone should pick that up. And why don't the city officials come by more often and clean up this stuff? Why don't they take some maybe prisoners out here and clean this up or Boy Scouts out here and clean this stuff up? Maybe I should pick that up. Oh, it's not my responsibility. But I could do it. It's not that big a deal. I can pick it up. Oh, I'm walking. Where am I going to put that thing? It's probably dirty and wet. Maybe it's got some germs on it. Oh, but what's the big deal? I could pick it up and clean up the earth a little bit, do my little part. Well, it's not my responsibility. It's not my What am I going to pick up all the garbage? What am I going to get in the car and go driving around looking for garbage all day long? I won't get anything done. I'll spend the rest of my life picking up garbage. And the battle is waging on in his mind over a stupid little plastic bag. And four steps later, he decides, oh, I'll go get it. And he goes and he picks up the bag and throws it away. And that happens over and over and over again in our lives. On much important issues than just a piece of garbage on the side of the road. And whether or not to sin whether or not to listen to God, whether or not to do that, to make that phone call, to send that letter, to send that word of encouragement, to go and say hi, to get up and to get to the meeting earlier or to get to the Bible study or to read my Bible or to pray more or to pray for so-and-so. God impressing our minds and not now, later on, too tired, I'm too busy. After I finish this project, <coughs> once things stabilize, once I have a little bit more money, after we buy that thing we've been wanting, and the battle wages on in our minds for our hearts and for our souls. And who we listen to is the one who wins. And for 21 days, Cyrus 
is going through this battle. And if it wasn't for Daniel, the battle might have been lost. And the evil angel might have won. And all of history might have been different. And when Daniel heard the news and he's there mourning, that there's opposition to the building, we don't have recorded here that he goes running to Cyrus and pleading with Cyrus, although he might have. But it's not recorded. We don't even see him calling the authorities. We don't see him writing letters to Jerusalem telling them what to do. We see him praying. That's what Daniel did. When a problem arose, he went to God for help. He went to the supreme authority in the universe, and he didn't stop until he got the answer that was needed. When Nebuchadnezzar sent out the decree to kill all the wise men, what did, wise men, what did Daniel do? He prayed. When he was told not to pray anymore, what did he do? He prayed. Throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel is praying. And we need to be praying and earnestly praying as this battle is taking place here on this earth for our very souls and for the souls of others. Daniel could have gotten angry. Doesn't mention him getting angry at these other people. He just chose to pray. And we need to be praying for those who despitefully use us. Praying for our enemies. Praying for the politicians who are trying to make decisions, who are being pressed on every side. Not just sitting back and watching. It's so easy and fun to watch the popcorn, you know, as they're fighting it out. You know, get, a, get the popcorn, just watch them go nuts between them. We can root, oh yeah, go, and send a funny joke of this and that, and, and a news feed, and... Oh, it's, you know, we, I love Israel. Oh, we love Israel. Oh, I support Israel. But are we praying? The Bible tells us pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be praying for our religious, our religious leaders as well. We need to be praying for our religious leaders. We need to be praying for our political leaders here in this country. In Israel, we need to be praying for the events in this world. So we see the craziness that's going on. What on earth were they thinking when they made that vote? What on earth were they thinking when they encouraged that? What on earth were they thinking when they allowed that? Crazy things are, are they logical? What, how could they think that? How could they approve that? How could they support that? It's crazy what's going on because of the prince of darkness is moving upon their hearts and minds. And God's spirit is being forced away and withdrawn because there's no Daniels praying anymore. We're just watching and voting and shouting and unfair and going about our business. Worried about ourselves and praying about ourselves and praying for ourselves. Daniel's not even affected. Daniel's not in Jerusalem. They're not affecting Daniel. They're not threatening Daniel's life. He's got it secure. He's got his retirement. He's there. He's 90 years old. He can just kick back and watch it all happen. 
He received what he was really praying for, for them to be able to go back when they were able to go back. But he's not praying for himself. He's praying for King Cyrus. He's praying for the people who went back. He's praying for the stupid people who didn't go back. He's praying for others. He's interceding. And that's why he gets to see Yeshua. And even as righteous as he is, he still falls on his face before Yeshua. We need to be praying more. Praying like a Daniel. Verse 14, I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. The vision refers to many days yet to come. Not just happening in Daniel's day, but will continue to happen even to the latter days, even to our day. And Daniel 11 will get right up in our faces, right to our day. <clears throat> and we're in the midst of this battle. We are the rope in this tug of war. We are being pulled continually. And again, who we turn our face to, that's who wins. It's so easy to turn our faces away from God during troubles. And that's when the pressure is on all more so. And Satan is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he sends forth his evil angels and they're one-third of all the angels in heaven are here on this one planet. One-third of all the angels that are commissioned to the entire universe are stuck on one little tiny planet, not even as big as Jupiter. I mean, the biggest thing in our little solar system, a tiny little speck, and one-third of all the evil angels are here. People might say, well, you know, do you think there's a, a, an evil angel behind every rock? No, I don't believe there's an evil angel behind every rock. Probably two or three evil angels behind every rock. But for every evil angel, there's at least two heavenly angels. And for the one Lucifer who really has nothing but a bag of tricks, is the almighty God. And Yeshua the Messiah and the Ruach HaKodesh, who have all power and have all dominion and all knowledge, who are omnipotent and omnipresent, and are from the beginning to the end, who know all things and are everlasting, and from before creation of anything, and who will last forever and ever, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's the first among all the chief princes, who's over it all. Satan has nothing on him. And all of his evil angels together have nothing on them. They've been cast down from heaven and will be cast down and destroyed once and for all and will burn up and become ashes under the soles of our feet. The only thing they have is the lies and the pressure they put upon us. And if we don't yield, and they don't give up easy, 
But if we don't yield to them, if we continually draw near to God and resist the devil, he will flee. He has no choice. But it takes a continual resisting, maybe even 21 days of fasting and praying and resisting and not giving up and not giving in. But praying continually. And when Daniel hears, it goes to the latter days. Again, the prophecies of Daniel take us to the latter days. Verse 15, when he spoke such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground. I became speechless. Suddenly one, having the likeness of the Son of Man, touched my lips and then opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him, saying to him who spoke before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. Daniel again loses his strength, and now we parallel the chapter all over again. He goes back to having no strength, hearing this battle is going to continue on to the latter days. It's going to continue happening. He can't handle it. And again, he's out of strength. But again, when he's out of strength, God gives him strength. And the man touches his lips so he's able to speak again. And he cries out, I have no strength. He doesn't cry out boasting, Remember when I got thrown in the lion's den? Remember when I stood for you there? Remember when they told me to eat the king's food and to eat the unclean food? I didn't do that. Remember that? Remember how good I am? Remember I didn't bow down here or there? How he spoke the truth? No, he didn't say anything. I have nothing to say. I can't speak. I can't speak before you, God. But then God touches his lips and he's able to speak. We shouldn't say a word until God touches our lips. Verse 17, how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? No strength remains in me, nor any breath left in me. Verse 18, again, one like the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Shalom Alechem. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And when he spoke, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And when we are without strength, God will strengthen us. When we receive the touch of God, he lifts us up, he strengthens us, he empowers us. Even at the age of 90, he will strengthen us. And Daniel says, I can now talk again. Let my Lord continue to talk to me because you have strengthened me. He will mount us up on wings as eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not grow faint. He who endures to the end shall be saved. He will give us the endurance we need. He will touch us. He will strengthen us. We are greatly beloved in our sight. He says, fear not. Now twice here, third time, you're greatly beloved. And peace unto you. Shalom, Alechem, the same words that Yeshua said to his disciples when he returned to see them after the resurrection. Peace unto you. Gives peace and strength to our soul in our troubles, in our fears, in our worries, in our cares. In the midst of the battle, he is there with us, strengthening us through it. If we remain on our hands and knees, humbled before him moving forward on our knees. 
moving forward in prayer. Verse 20, and he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return and fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Michael the prince, against the prince of Persia, and then against the prince of Greece. The prince is battling it out for this world. And God wins. The scripture of truth tells us that God wins. This prince after prince and this power after power, one comes and is defeated and another one comes in Persia, there'll be Greece, there'll be Rome, there'll be powers on this earth down to the end of this time. But God's people who remain faithful to him will be strengthened regardless of what the power source is at the time. God will see us through to the very end and on to eternity as we trust in him and as we have faith in him and rely on him who is like unto thee, O God. Right? We sing that song, Mika Moka, Bolim Adonai, who is like thee? Who on earth is like thee, O Lord our God? Above all the princes, above all the kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of kings, the one and only one is the Lord our God, ruler of all. As we put our trust and faith in him, he wins. I like this picture. These dark hands, see these hands, all these hands trying to grab this girl, and she opens the scripture of truth. She opens the Bible, and light streams forth out of it, and the evil angels cannot touch her. They cannot lay hold on us as we remain in God's word, as we remain in the scripture of truth, as we remain in the way, the truth, and the life, as we hide ourselves in him and are hidden in him and wrapped in him, Satan has no authority over us. He is a defeated foe. Yeshua is victorious. And as Yeshua has raised from the dead. We also will rise from the dead. As he lives, we also will live in him. And thus we have nothing to fear. As we pray, if you're in the midst of a battle, there's something going on in your life. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your wrestle is not against the the. the Whatever you're going through, whether it's some state agency or some person suing you or some lawyers or some bill you got or some company or some landlord or whoever is over you, whoever is exercising dominion over you, we wrestle not against people or even against companies. The wrestle against the powers of darkness. But God will give us the victory. We'll take it out on the people. We'll get angry at the people. How dare you give me that ticket? How dare you give me that notice? How dare they tell me this? How dare they threaten this? How dare they say that about me? We'll get angry at the people. 
Love our enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use us. Be in prayer and don't stop praying. So if you're in the midst of some battle, battle in your family, battle again with some kind of agency, some insurance company, who knows what, some medical thing, some bills, some collection agency, whatever you're battling with, bring it before the Lord. Pray and surrender it to God and let him battle for you. Doesn't mean you maybe don't get a lawyer, maybe don't get some human health, a doctor, a plumber, whatever you need also. But first seek the Lord and continue to petition him. And even after you get that lawyer or plumber or whatever you need, continue praying. 21 days, three weeks, however long it's necessary. Continue in prayer. And don't stop praying until the answer is revealed. So if you're in the middle of a battle right now, while we pray, surrender it to the Lord. Surrender all fear, surrender all the anxiety, and be at peace. You are greatly beloved. Secondly, if God is impressing you that you haven't been praying enough, you haven't been praying as you should, you haven't been yielding enough to God's Spirit, You've been giving in too often to the other voice and other voices. And you feel the conviction. In the moment when we pray, you can surrender that before God and receive his forgiveness because of the Messiah, his death in our behalf. Thirdly, if when you pray, it's, you get easily or read the scripture of truth, easily distracted, your mind wanders, you, you fall asleep, pray for God to strengthen you. God, to compel you in prayer, to prompt you in prayer, to remind you to pray, and to empower you to pray, and then to pray through you. For it's not us, it's not the words, it's not the senses, that God's Spirit pray through us as we pray. And let God strengthen you and empower you, even in prayer, and especially in prayer. And I warn you, he may wake you up at 3 o'clock this morning to pray. <laughs> he may wake you up at 5 tomorrow morning to pray. But pray. Maybe while in the midst of work or driving, press someone's thought and name on your mind, pray for them. Be instant in prayer and continual, continually in prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name for Daniel and people like Daniel. Thank you for your spirit upon him. Thank you for strengthening him. And Lord, use us as well. And strengthen us through the battle. Cover us in your love. Cover us in your righteousness. Cover us in your holiness. <clears throat> We have no strength and no glory in and of ourselves. We claim your righteousness upon our lives. We have no power and no authority in ourselves. But we claim your power and your authority. Bind up the forces of the enemy that are moving upon our hearts and minds and upon others that are oppressing us. Save the people. 
save our enemies, move upon their hearts and minds, forgive them, cleanse them, save them. Save our souls, be over our politicians, strengthen them, guide them, direct them to make right choices. Bless Israel, protect Israel, surround it with heavenly angels. And send to Israel and our politicians here and locally and, and to ourselves and to our lives, send at least two heavenly angels for every evil angel that's trying to oppress us and destroy us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.